From WXXI News, this is Connections. I'm Evan Dawson. Well, our connection this hour was made in 2008 when just about 50% of kids in this country, age 6 to 12, signed up for youth, youth sports. 15 years later, that number is down to about 35%. Almost two out of three American kids don't play organized sports anymore. The lowest numbers ever recorded since they started checking this stuff. So what has happened, especially in the last generation? In the city of Rochester, which is experiencing, as we know, a tragic rise in youth violence, there has been a rather steep decline in youth participation in sports like baseball and softball. Those are just two examples of many. And we're not perfectly linking the decline in youth sports participation to the rise in violence, but the men and women who put in countless hours coaching and training and working will tell you that it makes a difference. And I have a bias here. Uh, I coach youth baseball. I believe deeply in the value of giving kids structure, discipline, a sense of community, knowing that there are adults who love them and have their backs. It matters to everyone, but sometimes it matters even more to kids who come from disadvantaged backgrounds. And so I've already gotten some of your emails, and I want to tell you this hour, I'd love to hear from more uh, parents, people who participate in youth sports. What do you think is driving the numbers down? It is not just the pandemic. For anyone who wants to write in and say, well, you know, we we shut too much down. These numbers were going in this direction pre-pandemic, and... It is simply a continuation of what was already underway. Um, So we'll talk about some of the thoughts there, but we're also going to talk about how to change that, how to support this better. And let me welcome our guest this hour. Roger Janizic is president of Southside Little League in Rochester. Roger, welcome to the program. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Evan. Uh, Bruce Conroe is president of Eastside Little League. Hi, Bruce. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. And Paul Conroe is a board member for Eastside Little League and a principal advocate for the Rochester Baseball Coalition. Hi, Paul. (laughs) Hi, Evan. What's the Rochester Baseball Coalition? So it's an effort to bring any existing baseball league in the city of Rochester under a single uh, entity that plays according to Williamsport Little League. It's a great idea because there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen in Little League who all mean really well, but sometimes you get apples and oranges in terms of rules, approaches, schedules. So it's great. And and, um, it's worth mentioning the motivation. Yeah. What's the motivation to do this, Paul? Well, there's really, as you mentioned, that the, just the decline in general in youth sports, but in Rochester, especially on the, the west side, there just hasn't been a, an organizational structure that is serving every kid. And a, if we have a citywide uh, organization, it'll be easier for east side, you know, by, by Williamsport, we have to stay east of the river. This allows us to have a cast a wider net through the uh, city limits. So this hour, we will talk about what is available, what parents should know. Frankly, what, what people who work in local governments might know about working with different organizations. It's not just a Rochester story, but the reason that this particular group is here this week is because you might have seen a little scuttlebutt on social media last week about, um, I think, uh, a surprise to Southside Little League about city facilities and what was available and what was changing. And I, I think we've got a positive resolution there, but I'm going to give Roger a little space to explain. um, And then we'll talk about, I think the direction that you feel like you're heading in. What happened last week, Roger? Well, there was a, um, an issue with uh, permitting fields and um, Southside wanted one thing and uh, city wanted something else with school 12 fields and discussions with uh, Eric Rose and Dr. Shirley Green with the Department of Recreation and Human Services um, helped to resolve that, uh, that conflict. It was a good conversation? It was a very good conversation. Um, it was a very productive, positive meeting where we were able to resolve this 
and also talk about areas where we can collaborate together. And I really appreciate uh, Eric Rose and, and, and Dr. Green's willingness to uh, meet with us and to find this uh, compromise and to um, discuss ways of working together again. And this is you know, a tough moment, I think, for people in, in government because they see declining numbers of youth participation. There are adult softball leagues. There's a other interest about using facilities. And they're trying, I think, their best to, to juggle and fill things in. Um, but at the same time, you know, I'm also, again, my bias here is thinking about making sure, first and foremost, kids have what they need, leagues have what they need to support kids, particularly kids who come from disadvantaged situations. And so I understand why the back and forth happened. I do want to ask all three of you what your actual trends are, because the national trend in the last 15 years, unfortunately, is away from getting more kids into it. We're seeing, again, a decline pretty significantly in 15 years. What have you seen, Roger? So I can, I'll tell you, I'm the uh, president of Southside Little League just this year, taking over from, uh, from Michael Laver. And um, Southside Little League is made up of a bunch of very committed individuals. And I like these individuals. I know them. I've been working with Southside over the years as a coach um, and other, uh, and having some board positions. And when the opportunity came up, I was most motivated by their passion uh, and their sacrifice. Um, it's a great organization. And they grew Southside up to 250 kids in 2019, 2020, from what had been 10 years earlier, a very decrepit league, uh, Southside. Uh, so we were going strong right up until the pandemic, and now we're trying to recover. Okay, so yours is an example of a league that was trending in a good direction before yes, the shutdown. that's correct. Okay. Um, what are you seeing, Bruce? We're seeing uh, an improvement since the pandemic has ended. We had peaked out about 310 kids playing in the city. It was slowly declining, and then the pandemic really hurt us a lot. We've re uh, rebounded pretty well from that. We've probably gone up about 70% from uh 2020 when we didn't play at all to 2021. So we're our numbers are improving greatly. Uh, quick word about the uh, coalition. We had kind of touched on that. The coalition is an interesting organization because it is bringing in uh, little leagues, Williamsport associated programs like Rogers and mine. It also brings in uh, independent leagues, uh, the Hispanic Youth Baseball League, and we'd hoped that Santos Cruz, their president, could be here today, but he's a city firefighter and on duty at this point in time. But we have worked together collaboratively for about three years to share some uh, tournament uh, issues, uh, working to collaborate so we can get more kids playing. The entire goal of the coalition is to get more city kids playing baseball. And Paul had mentioned the uh, dearth of programs on the west side. Uh, Little League had actually assigned that west side territory to a couple of suburban leagues, Gates, Charlie, and Greece. Uh, they have graciously ceded that back to the uh, to the city if we uh, combine these programs. So we're working on that to, again, provide a city-based program for the west side of the city. When you, when you say that you peaked at about 310 kids? 310 is as high as we got. When was that? That was about uh, 2013, 2012. Why do you think the numbers were declining even pre-pandemic? We uh, were not sure. Uh, we had done a major study. Actually, one of my board members is a PhD educator that uh, did a big study in 2010 and 11 looking at participation across the entire city. We had support from the city of Rochester. We had support from the Rochester Red Wings to do this. And it basically this program revealed that our levels of participation are woefully low for the entire city of Rochester. Why we had lost them 
not exactly sure why it had trended down a little bit. Uh, some of it may have been our inability, resource-wise, to uh, promote the programs, to do uh, a lot of uh, public relations type stuff. We're starting to work more on that. We have the resources where we're starting to push it, opportunities like this to let people know the program is out there. It, we've heard it a thousand times. City kids don't play baseball, and we think it's just because nobody's asking them. We're asking them now. Bruce, what's your website? Uh, the website <laughs> is... Uh, Roger came prepared, by the way. Go ahead. We and we, we've got a couple of websites to play with, too. So the Eastside website is www.eastside-littleleague.com. And we also have a separate website for the coalition, and that is rochesterbaseballcoalition.org. On the coalition website, you'll see links to all of the local leagues associated, Eastside, Southside, Sherlock Youth Athletic Association, and Rochester Hispanic Youth Baseball. So the coalition site gives you the whole program for people in the city. I live in Charlotte. There's some great facilities in this city. Yes, um, there's wonderful there facilities really in the city. They're really great. When I was growing up, they weren't the, the facilities I, I played on weren't as good as what we see now. Um, but I also know that a lot of this is sort of the elbow grease that you put in here, Bruce, because... For every sort of glistening Little League field, and again, we're talking a lot of baseball today, softball, um, spring sports, but the, this conversation should be understood to be all-encompassing. We talk about the value of youth sports and sometimes the inequity over how it gets funded or supported. When you want to build something, who's doing the work here? Okay, when we want to build somebody, we are doing the work. Uh, Tryon Park is our home fields. We have invested in excess of 30000 of our own dollars in the last five or six years to improve those fields, clay infields, uh, dugouts, sheds for uh, concession stand, the whole shooting match. Everything you see at Tryon Park on all five fields was built by the volunteers of Eastside Little League. Southside strives to, to, to achieve what, uh, what Eastside has achieved. Beautiful. Now, last year, I had absolutely ripped my knuckles off because I would get in this habit of pulling weeds down the first baseline on our field. Yeah. I'm the gardener. I'm, the, you know, and it's not a, a major league, you know, looking grass where we play. We do our very, very best. Um, uh, you know, we dig out lips on the infield and try to try to smooth it out. We do a lot of it, but um, in a moment we'll talk about what actual support looks like from local governments or what you ought to be able to expect. Paul, can you describe how things are going in terms of your own numbers and trends? Yeah, so I'm going to give a kind of maybe a, a parent's perspective. So I have two kids in college, and I have a 10th grader and a 5th grader, and I'm, I'm going to throw, throw this phrase out. Kids are either on a screen or on a team, and because screens are so readily available, and it's just it, it's culturally we know that's that's true, kids being on screens – and I think that's kind of like a question we really need to ask ourselves for youth sports. How, how can we get our kids off a screen? We have a fall ball uh, league that Saturday mornings, September and October, the last four years, the weather has been spectacular. And, we've, and kids come out with their, you know, eight, nine, ten years old. And it's just, it's a ball. We are just loving being out there one day a week playing baseball but we just need more kids to do it. Anybody who tries it will love it, um, both the kids and the, and the parents. Um, the, other, the other thing about youth sports that I think we, we overlook is travel teams have made it appear that you should only play a sport if you're in it to, be co to go pro. Mm, oh, and that's God, not boy. what we're trying that to say. That drives set. me crazy. It drives me crazy. And, and, and my son actually went into the travel side uh, when he got to be a teenager and – 
it's it's not it's it's worse. The culture. It's, the culture is worse, yeah. and the investment of time. It's it's we're putting uh, you know winning over enjoying playing ball, and um, so I think two of the things that we need to contend with is how do we get kids off the screen, and how do we get everybody to look at youth sports as exercise, join a team, make some friends, have fun, leisure. Yeah. You want to add to that, Roger? I do. Um, the comment about uh, travel teams. So this is a, a, a quote, a comment from uh, Megan Delahunty uh, Reddington. Oh, who, she's one of the best. Yeah, yeah she is. And she, she'd be here today, but she's, uh, she's teaching. So she said that Little League is a safe place to learn the game. And with all respect to travel baseball, it has hurt Little League. We build community in Little League, and there are things kids take away from Little League that you can't get from travel teams. And uh, and our emphasis and Eastside emphasis is to be inclusive, have kids enjoy the game. Winning's great, but we don't stack teams. We make sure that teams are equal, and uh, we do our best to make sure that every kid participates. Because you might have a diamond in the rough out there who you know, is shy and uh, doesn't participate, and you lose an opportunity there. Yeah, last summer, um, in the town I coach, um, there is, there's the spring leagues, there's, I, they call it summer all-star travel, um, and we had that, but we also had enough kids interested that I thought, why tell kids they, they can't play in summer if they don't make the team? Let's create, like, you know, a blue team and an orange team. Let's create right. multiple teams. And then we'll have some kids go between. And, you know, we don't win a ton, but that's all right. Uh, we had a lot of fun. Some of the kids worked more on our, our team secret handshake than they did on other things, but that's okay. Um, and we ended up with, I think, something like 35 kids doing summer ball instead of, you know, just 10 or 11 on a core travel team. And yeah, I'm not counting wins and losses very much. Winning is fun. Losing is okay. You have to be able to lose. But I, I think that brings me to a couple of emails on this subject that I want to read um, from listeners who sent notes this morning and when we teased the program. First of all, Sarah said, and this is probably right out of Paul's vocabulary, Sarah says, um, I think the reason fewer kids are playing youth sports is that more parents like me see that travel coaches are losing their minds and trying to turn nine-year-old kids into professional athletes. They scream at referees. And they try to make up for their own loss of youth by living directly through their kids. No thanks, not for me. That is from Sarah. So before I get to the second email, just briefly, I think everybody here is affirming that what you're feeling, Sarah. I just would caution you, even in travel ball, that's not everybody. And that's not most. One bad coach in a region can really spoil things, I get it, or even in a program. Um, but I think... Let me ask all three of our guests, what would you say to parents who are worried about that? Would you talk to the coaches and kind of get a sense for what they, what culture they try to set, what they emphasize, what they don't emphasize? Um, I think it's funny that it's, there's almost like a cultural hesitancy to coach a coach. I think it's, it's really important that you get to know your child's coach. And it just could be a very simple social conversation, five or ten minutes during the preseason and you should be able to go to your coach and, and, and talk to them. And, and if you have a concern off-field, maybe exactly. after a not game. In the, not, not, not in the, the dugout in the third inning. Yeah, yep. right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that 90% of, of, of the communication is handled in the heat of the moment. And that's the wrong time. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's really There's good. another key thing, too, is the expectations that are put on coaches. One thing I'll say about Little League, I'm a Little League guy. Uh, the independent leagues... Don't have the structure 
the requirements, the training, the resources that a Little League program has. Amen. Roger can speak to this. So we all have experienced the uh, overzealous coach that needs to be ratcheted back a little bit. We've all experienced coaches that need to be someplace else, and we've taken care of that as well. But I think people need to realize a Little League program is much more structured. You're not going to have your best pitcher get run into the ground because there's no rules. There are pitch count rules, safety rules, high-quality insurance, high-quality training. The Little League programs bring a lot to the table that people need to be aware of. I'd also like to say, and I echo everything uh, Paul and Bruce have said, uh, I also want to point out that uh, it's, it's volunteer coaches who really help make these leagues happen. And no one's going to be perfect. Uh, and we have boards, and, 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 and when issues arise, the boards address things. And, and I know that East Side has no doubt had some issues, South Side has issues, but we always work through them. Um, uh, but, you know, there's certainly a balance. We want to, we want to keep coaches um, and, and um, encourage them and, and bolster them any way we can. Yeah, go ahead, Paul. Uh, I just want to jump in with a, just a lesson for everybody. Um, when, I, when my two oldest kids were at the age to play t-ball, I agreed with a colleague from uh, East High School to coach together. Kyle Crandall is, is, is the colleague. And um, I was I was nervous that I was going to wreck the kids. And I played baseball my whole life, but I, I never coached. So I've got my yeah. six-year-old daughter, five-year-old son. And two adults who know each other and you know just even the basic elements. You don't have to be great. Kyle and I both maybe have more experience than the average person, but we coached in T-ball, then we went to the minors level, the majors. As as we grew, he and I stayed coaches, and it, it just the social aspect for the parents. I would encourage any any adult with with, with kids think about coaching as something that you can do with another friend. And that becomes almost like a social thing that you look forward to going to the field and certainly coaching the kids, but you also you look forward to hanging with your adult buddies. And if if you're if you're listening out Absolutely. there and you're you're interested in getting involved in uh, little league coaching, you know contact East Side or contact South Side. And by the way, that's SouthsideLittleLeague.com. Uh, uh, we have plenty of people from outside the uh, the neighborhood who um, who come and coach. Uh, my wife's coworker last year uh, became uh, a coach for Southside, and he he he's thrilled to do that, and he's doing it again this year. Kids need loving, hardworking adults who are going to coach and pull them forward and challenge them, but also, I think, nurture a feeling of community and having the kids' backs. And and some kids are growing up in a situation where they don't feel like the community or adults in their lives have their backs. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Let me get Charles's email. Charles says, Evan, I think it's fair to ask if the reason for the decline in participation in youth sports is because parents no longer feel that youth sports are teaching life lessons. For decades, children have been prevented from learning a pretty major one, that you can do everything right and still lose I scored only six points and made no noticeable improvement while playing a fifth-grade CYO basketball team with a losing record, and I somehow still got a trophy. This was more than 20 years ago, Charles said. So Charles thinks that we're too soft on kids, that we're not teaching kids they can lose. And in, in a lot of ways, I agree, Charles, that you, kids have to be able to lose. We have to. Adults have to be able to lose we got to be able to lose elections. Oh, look at me. But we, we, you have to be able to lose and move on and shake hands. 
Um, I'm not a fan, and we've talked with David Andriata on this program before, my colleague at, um, at City and WXXI, who coaches hockey, among other things. And he wasn't a fan when they changed the rules for the post-game handshake and some youth hockey became a pre-game handshake because they were worried about bad feelings after the game. Wrong message for kids. Wrong lesson. Like, you can't handle it. We can't even shake hands. So I I agree, Charles, you got to be able to lose. Have to be able to lose. Um, I don't mind teams giving out trophies for participation for their kids if they want to do that. I mean, because to me, that just, it may sit on their wall and remind them of something they were a part of. That's okay. I have no problem with that. But I think kids have to be able to lose. And I, I, most of what I experience, Charles, is that the youth co- coaches I see are very adept at not only losing, but, but sending a, a good, the right message. I mean, my team lost five one-run games last summer. After the fifth game, I'm like, no more speeches. I know. Losing by one stinks. Nobody wants to hear it. But you got to be able to do it. And because um, you're going to win by one sometimes. you got to do it with grace. So I think people are doing better than you think there, Charles. My bigger problem is when coaches refuse to lose and are willing to cheat. That's not a lot, but I've seen it at youth level. And that's where I think about Sarah's email and I go, what are we doing here? But let's go around the table here. What do you think, Paul? Are, are we able are, – are kids able to lose? Oh, gosh. Kids, if, if you have ice cream after the game the, – you know, there, there, there was a season where my son was in minors level, you know, 9, 10, 11 years old. His first season in the league, his team won the championship, and the assistant coach the following year became the head coach, and they lost their first six games. And the head coach, I think, lost was losing sleep and losing hair because the team wasn't winning. And I told both of them aside when, after the fifth or sixth loss, and I said, look, the kids are all running to their cars, and they're happy. They're, you know, they're goofing around. They're paling around. <laughs> they, they don't. They were like, done, look, they, a dog. You didn't know whether they had won or lost. You know, kids may feel bad for about thirty seconds, and we're the adults, and that's the lesson we need to show to the kids: is that, yeah, wear it for thirty seconds and then move on, because that's, I think that's the lesson, and I think that, um, I, personally, I take losses worse than my kids, but I've learned to watch the kids and take my lead from them and realize it doesn't matter after the game. As long as the ice cream's cold. What do you think, Bruce? <laughs> well, the kids won't uh, won't remember the wins and losses. They will definitely remember when the coach chews them out for dropping a fly ball. Mm. So the whole mentality of winning and losing, winning's more fun than losing. Everybody knows that. We keep score for a reason. That being said, it is not the do-all, end-all. And Sarah's first email regarding the overzealousness of some of these coaches, the we must win, I think some parents are falling into the trap of, my kid has to play at some kind of elite oh, yeah, or travel yeah. versus playing a house little league team. And he, I've got to uh, do a shout out here. District 4 is the district that covers little league for Monroe County, a couple of uh, towns outside of Monroe County. There are 17 leagues in District 4. District 4 supports the smaller leagues like Southside and Eastside. The uh, district administrator is a great guy that understands we need to get more kids playing. District 4 also does run a travel program for those more zealous kids, the kids that really want to play at a higher level. So we can have it both ways in Little League. Uh, The losses we've had in Little League because parents feel their kids have to play some kind of elite level, there's services and programs within District 4 Little League, again, with the better coaching, the better insurance, the better structure. Everything is stronger with a youth sports organization that's the biggest youth sports organization in the country. And less expensive. And way less expensive. And so, Evan, I should uh, point out that uh, for the first time this year, Southside Ryball, which is the Rochester Hispanic Youth Baseball League, and uh, Southside, the three of us are, are putting together joint travel teams for District 4. 
And so this is one step in the direction of the Rochester Youth Baseball, uh, Rochester Baseball Coalition. And uh, again, about um, uh, District 4, shout out to Carl Hagen, who does a, a great job uh, organizing uh, the travel teams and a very patient man. Um, but I, I do want to say yeah, one ahead, more Mike. thing. You know, you talked about winning and losing and can kids lose. Um, I, I think baseball is an baseball games are an excellent opportunity for coaches to demonstrate how to win and how to lose. Uh, and there are there are simple gestures that could be made during games to acknowledge that the other team isn't the enemy. Absolutely. The other team is just oh like gosh. us. And sportsmanship matters. And if, you know, I've been in situations where clearly the ump got it wrong for our team. And I found ways to reach out to the other team and, and make it publicly so, like, you know, we, we realized we got one there. Or giving cre- kids credit on the other team when they get a good hit, you know. So I, I think it's, it's important for coaches, yes, to help kids understand how to lose, but also how to conduct themselves and it's it's a it's sort of a microcosm for life. Um, we have to take our only break of the hour, and when we come back, there's a couple of things that I think are, are vital that we cover. Um, going forward, with declining numbers, if you're just joining us, part of the reason we're here is, as I mentioned off the top, a study of youth sports from 15 years ago found that just about 50% of American kids age 6 to 12 in this country, that's kids, boys, girls, that's um, you know playing, yes, baseball, softball, soccer, hockey, lacrosse, whatever their case may be. Uh, But about 50% of American kids aged 6 to 12 were doing that in organized fashion. Now it's about 35%. It's not just pandemic-related. The trend has been going in that direction. There are all kinds of forces influencing this. Paul Conroe brought up screens, the idea that your kid is on a screen or on a team, uh, or on a team or on a screen. Well, that's one of them for sure. Another, another one, though, is what kind of support they get. I mean, as much as Bruce Conroe is just a beast of a builder and can do everything, he's got to have some support. And the question is, um, you know, are, are leagues getting that help? So when we come back, we're going to talk about what that looks like. And we're going to talk about what, they, what our guests see as the value in a city that has really been hurt by tragedy, violence, disconnection. Um, it's not a direct line. I, I'm not trying to be trite, but I know that there's a lot of different things happening here, and we're going to talk about that. So we'll come right back and talk about what's going on with, with youth sports in the country and in our communities next. Coming up in our second hour, according to the National Minority Supplier Development Council, minorities in this country represent 34% of the population, but businesses are owned 21% by people of color, so that's an underrepresentation. And when corporate purchasing is taken into account, when businesses have to consult with other businesses, only 3% of those contracted with are minority-owned businesses. What's going to change that? We'll talk next hour. This is Connections. I'm Evan Dawson. Um, Again, I'm just going to keep saying this. We're talking a lot of baseball this hour as we talk about the decline of participation in youth sports. But um, that is just a a small slice of, of what's happening in sports at all levels across the country, in all sports with kids. And if you happen to be in a town where registration is quote-unquote closed, uh, I mean, I coach out of Penyan. Yes, the window's closed. Your kid wants to play. We're going to get him in. Uh, the registration is probably open in a lot of places. I know it's open in places like Watkins Glen or others. Uh, but even if it's closed, my guess is if you called Roger or Paul or Bruce and you really wanted 
play, they would say yes. We're but, open. But you're open now anyway. So We're open now too. Eastside is ready. Eastside is ready. Open until when? I mean, we are keeping registration open until the end of March. Uh, what we'll do then is keep a waiting list, and if we form enough, get enough kids f- to form an additional team at a level, we'll have that run to T-ball and uh, rookie leagues ages 4 through 8. We'll keep that open just about up to opening day on April 29th because we want to get as many of those younger kids in and get them introduced to the game. Ditto here, but please sign up early if you can. It really makes our job easier. <laughs> yes. Paul? Uh, still open reg- registration? Uh, I'm part of Eastside, and I oh yeah, that's right. You're just, on the board of Eastside. Yeah, just keep pumping the uh, when you if you consider coaching, find a uh, another adult that uh, has a kid doing it and coach together. Yeah, that's another point that Bruce was making during our brief break. Here is um, these leagues are so much year to year because often you got to have a enough kids who happen to have um, parents who have either played or wanted do this. But uh, I promise I was so scared jumping in a couple of years ago. I'm like, well, I am not qualified. I, it's been a while since I played and I'm in over my head. And um, and I am in over my head, totally in over my head. But it's the best thing I think I've ever done. And what would you say to people who are thinking about volunteers? You need to not be afraid of, I don't know enough. I'm not skilled enough. Being out there and supporting the kids is all you need. When I started coaching my son in T-ball at age six, I had never played organized baseball. I had no clue. Quickly figured it out. As the kids advance and the skills advance, you get additional training. You get support from your league, which Southside and Eastside were very strong on supporting our coaches. And you start to figure it out. You can't be afraid of going out there and giving it a try. Start out as an assistant coach. Get your feet wet, and you'll find out it is an unbelievable, joyous experience to be able to coach these young people. And uh, I view it as uh, the joy of my life to be referred to as coach at any level. Paul? There's nothing better, well, as a, especially as a teacher, but anybody who, uh, whatever's going on at work, when May comes around and the season starts and you leave work and you go out on the field and you're either the coach or the assistant coach, it's just such a zen Mentally relaxing, helps you realize what's important in life. Uh, uh, amen. Because those kids don't know what you've been through that day. They just want, you know, your love and attention and your focus there. And it's like, it's a great distraction. It's it's a great, it's, so that's good. exactly right. It's a great distraction. It's so good. And, and a lot of, a lot of um, our baseball is house ball, as we call it. This is, yeah. you know, the not travel leagues. And chances are your opposing coach probably is not an expert either. Uh, and so if you're out there and you're interested in coaching, you're interested in having your kid join baseball, but you don't know much about baseball, don't let that be a hurdle. I, I promised I wasn't going to make this about our league, but if anybody wants to ump in Penyan, I'm kidding. Let's, <laughs> let's, we also need umpires. No, look, I, part of what I hope people are hearing is how much infrastructure and support it takes to do this. But the adults doing this are not most of the adults doing this are not doing it for their own glory. It's they see the need and the value. And um, Paul, I'm going to let you go in a second here, but I want to, before you have to go, because you got to get back to teaching, um, some final thoughts that you want to leave with listeners about the value that you see from these programs. Uh, I just, anybody who has participated in youth sports, who, who, who has had a good experience with a, with a good coach, right? We all can think about those isolated instances, but adults and kids, Talk to anybody who's done youth sports with a decent coach, and the memories are just just so solid, so positive, and we've got to get more kids a shot at that um, opportunity. And obviously we're pumping baseball, but soccer, 
football, lacrosse, whatever it is. Yeah. But um, we just need to give kids the sh- give kids the shot. Paul, thanks for being here. I know you got to go back to work. That's Paul Conroe, board member for Eastside Little League and principal advocate for the Rochester Baseball Coalition. Um, Bruce Conroe is here. They are related. Bruce is president of Eastside Little League. Roger Janizik is here, president of Southside Little League. As we take a look at the landscape of declining numbers of youth sports and the efforts to turn that around. Um, Roger, you want to jump in? Yeah, yeah I, I do. Um, I, I want to get back to something we were talking yeah. about earlier. Uh, uh, Southside's uh, numbers uh, grew through 2010 through 2019 due to the passionate um, uh, passionate energy of a number of people. And one of them we mentioned was uh, uh, Megan Delahunty Reddington, who who really revived Southside and, and grabbed people like myself and, and other board members um, to, to make the organization grow. But we couldn't grow. We couldn't achieve what we did without our, I mean, excellent local sponsors. I mean, people like Swilberger Restaurant, Gray's Carpet, uh, Postler and Jaco uh, Contractors. Uh, these are people who, they're in the community, um, and they have been supporting Southside. Some are new, some are old, but we can't do it without them. And I'm sorry to make shameless plugs, but St. Boniface <laughs> Men's Club... Um, Taco Bell, Hedonist Chocolates, Dick's, Masline uh, Electronics, uh, Mulberry Men's Drinking Club. Oops, I didn't say drinking. Um, uh, we, we, we can't do it without them. So I, I want to read a, a quick note from Tom. Tom sends a note via Twitter saying, Evan, youth sports numbers may be declining because New York State school enrollment is declining and has been for two decades. It's a fair point to look at um, just overall population trend lines, Tom, and, and I take that point. But again, the overall number, the percentage of kids in this country who play youth sports is way down in 15 years. Not since 2020, not since the pandemic. It's a percentage of American kids playing in youth sports. Almost 50% in 2008, around 35% now. And so it's affecting everybody. Um, and it, it's not just based on, well, more people are moving out of state, school districts are getting smaller, et cetera. So um, trust me, I, I hear that, Tom, but people are seeing this issue everywhere. Do you draw a line? Right? Well, I mean, how much of a line do you draw when you see people hurting in this community? We, we are in a community, especially in the city, where there's rising not only tragic violence, but kids involved in violence. It just breaks your heart. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say youth sports would solve everything, but how directly a line do you draw when you see how few kids are participating in structured activities, whether it's baseball, whether it's softball, whether it's anything, versus a lot of kids who don't have structure and have lost a sense of community and are hurting. What, what, what do you think? I think the key there is structure. And I think we have so many uh, family situations now, either single-parent households or both parents working, uh, kids having to take care of their siblings because of these uh, economic pressures. Uh, there are a lot of kids out there that don't have the structure. It's just difficult to maintain that. Having the structure you get from a Little League program with a, a coach that's looking out for the interests of the kids, uh, I think there is a direct line to it. I think more kids playing baseball, playing any youth sport, uh, it's going to be a diversion away from the other problems that may be going on in their life. If they're out on a baseball field, they're not going to be out looking at Kias and uh, causing problems in the community. So I think there is a direct line to it. What do you think, Roger? Um, well, I, I think there's a direct line, absolutely. And it's not it's not just baseball and softball right. uh, that, that can achieve that. Um, you know, I'm going to take this opportunity to shamelessly plug Riverflow Soccer, 
Oh, uh, they were on this program a few months back. They're fantastic. Yeah, Deion Sanders has got a great thing going there. And he's got a, you know, a, a south side, east side, river flow. A lot of kids are paying next to nothing or nothing because they can't afford it. Uh, Monroe Milers by uh, Nancy Allerger. Awesome. Right. Uh, so there, there are a lot of programs that they're directly reaching people who others aren't reaching. And this is another reason why you know, I want to talk more about how can the city partner better with these volunteer 501c3 organizations to increase enrollment, provide us a, a little bit more um, support, yeah. and we can do the work that they're also trying to do. We know, as I told Dr. Green, and I think she agrees with me, wonderful woman, wonderful person, um, wonderful employee of the city, we're, we have the same um, goals in mind. We're on the same team, yeah. really. Uh, in, in a moment, I think we're going to hear from a member of city council, and we'll pick up that thread and talk about what that support might look like going forward. I, and I'm I'm gratified as a resident of the city to hear that you feel like it's going in a good direction now. Um, but I'm I'm also wondering for the parents and the families who are hearing this program, uh, if they can't afford the sign up fee for little league baseball, can they can their kids play? They can play. Little League will not want to have anybody not play strictly on financial reasons. What Eastside does is take a look at the situation, and we will look to see if they can volunteer to help out at a concession stand, help out with some field maintenance. We will not have any kid not play strictly on financial reasons, but we expect the parent to have some skin in the game and uh, provide something for the league that can't be a free pass. Hey, Roger? Yeah, we, we absolutely provide scholarships. Um, all one needs to do is go to our website. Um, SouthsideLittleLeague.com. Uh, it's in the registration. If uh, if you're not of means and you're you're worried that your kid won't be able to play baseball because you can't afford it, um, you'll send us an email and we'll work it out from there. I'll just echo that from my own experience. I, I don't know any family that's been turned away because they couldn't put forward the the league fee for the for the season. Our fee is still a two digit fee, but that still happens in our league, and we have no problem finding ways to make sure kids can play. So um, everyone should have access. Everyone should have <coughs> access. Larry writes to say, Evan, my sense about the reason for the fall off in youth participation in sports is that it simply demands too much time from the parents. I have friends whose every night is consumed by driving multiple children to different locations and the entire family life has to revolve for months on end around the schedule of the sports league, even Saturdays and Sundays. It's hard to believe that a child could participate in some of these leagues and still be academically successful. And it exhausts my friends who are parents. Larry, before I ask our guest to comment on that, let me just say, I so resonate with your comments. Um, in fact, we've talked on this program about that issue as well. And one of the problems I see with youth sports that our guests have already kind of talked about is what happens... When there's so much emphasis on travel ball or the elite teams and chasing those elite teams, and so all of a sudden you thought you signed up for two nights a week, and now Saturdays there's a game at 8 a.m. and then a game at noon and then a game in another town at 4 p.m., and your whole life is blown up, or it's five nights a week. Some of these private travel programs locally, five, six nights a week. I'm with you there. I, am, I, don't, I think it can be too much. What we are talking about are house leagues. We're talking about entry level, and we're talking about hopefully quality, but we're not talking about subsuming your family's life or 
making sure that kids can never study or get their work done or be involved in other things. That's not healthy either. Balance has to happen. We want this to be one part of it. That's me as a coach. What do you think, Roger? Oh, well, I'm going to echo the thoughts of my wife, Lori Bryce. Uh, When kids are involved in extracurricular activities, uh, it forces them into time management. And time management is really a a wonderful thing for kids to... um, to work with and to to resolve on their own, how much time am I going to budget to homework? How much am I going to budget to sports? How much am I going to budget to to friends? And we find that it's a boon. When they have too much time on their hands, they're not going to spend all that time studying. I'd like to just bring up, um, uh, mention a, um, a family friend of ours who's now at uh, Geneseo, uh, Marcus Lewis. Marcus is a city kid. Uh, he ran track for Franklin High School went to school 58, held a job, got great grades, and the kid is doing well now in school. And And one of the reasons, I think, is because he had so little time for other things. He had to really manage his time well. So. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, Bruce. I completely agree on the, uh, on the strength of managing time for kids in the house leagues because South Side and East Side, we share schedules. So the kids, the younger kids from age four to eight, they're playing two games a week, one on a weeknight, one on a Saturday morning. That's not too stressful. Uh, situations where families have multiple children, yeah, there's no way around it. I went through that. That's yeah. just part <laughs> yeah. of the deal. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But the older kids from age nine through 16, they usually play three games a week. So we're doing Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, or Monday, Wednesday. Again, a little but bit. But it's of not a, six nights a week, is it's it? It's definitely not six <laughs> nights a week. Yeah. And again, the, the the only other additional stress on that once the season gets going is does a coach want to have an individual practice? And it's up sure. to the individual coaches, but we don't urge them to run the children into the ground. Yeah. It's it's got to be fun. I keep telling my coaches every year at a coaches meeting, we're here for one thing to make good memories for these kids. And they will not worry about the wins and losses as much as you think. They will worry about whether there's too much pressure, whether their peers are upset with them, or whether the coach chides them for not being able to make a play. We're here to teach the game, and I think both of our leagues, everybody in the coalition, we pride ourselves on being developmental programs. We want to teach kids the game, teach kids the sportsmanship, teach kids how to win and how to lose. It's part of the deal. Well, Amen. Amen. I want to bring in someone who um, not only was a youth league star, but has a reputation in the pickup basketball leagues of um, when he's not, you know, sort of getting away with a little chicken wings. Um, got a, still got a pretty good jumper. And Mitch Gruber is a member of Rochester City Council. Hi, Mitch. How are you? Are you there? Oh, I, I got I to gotta take it this way. That's my fault. Look, I thought we locked him in. I'm the host of the show. I should know how this goes. Now can you hear me, Mitch? I can hear you fine. Can you hear me? <laughs> yes. How is that jumper these days? I, I I don't know where you got that from. I don't jump. It's a set shot. <laughs> it's, it's a set it shot. Was built, it, was, it was built in the 1920s, and it's still there. Uh, that's right. Stapled to the ground, man. Absolutely. <laughs> um, Mitch, uh, I appreciate – I know our guests appreciate you calling as well. Let me just ask you for some thoughts as – as you are a member of city council, of what it means for cities and for your city to support youth sports, what does that actually look like in practice? Yeah, you know, in the city of Rochester, what, what, I, what I think we do boast about all the time is that we have some really phenomenal facilities and infrastructure. And, you know, our, our rec centers are top of the line. We've invested a lot of money in my five, five years in city council. We've invested a lot of money in youth sports infrastructure, including the old soccer stadium, which is now the community youth sports complex and there's a lot of great stuff happening but at the end of the day 
The only way that stuff matters is if we're also engaging the civic leaders, your guests on the show today, the, the sports, the sports leagues, the sports coordinators. Um, we need to make sure that we are investing in building those relationships and, and the parents and the youth. And I think that, you know, I'm so glad that there's been some resolution to the South Side Little League, but it, it spoke to the, uh, the larger issue that we just need to continue to make sure that municipalities understand that, that if you build it, they will not come unless you're also building the relationships at the same time. So, Roger and Bruce, uh, what would you want, you know, whether it's Council Member Mitch Gruber or the city to know going forward, as you say, Roger, Roger, you feel like the relationship with the city is moving in a really good direction. You've had great meetings. What else would you want them to know? Well, I, I think uh, on, on my end, the discussions are just starting. Uh, I think uh, Bruce might have a, a, a longer history, but what I've seen so far, I'm very encouraged by. Uh, and I want to uh, echo Mitch Gruber's comment about the soccer stadium facility, the Rochester um, Sports, Rochester Community Sports Center, uh, the kids I coach uh, for School of the Arts Baseball Winter Program, we use that facility on a regular basis. It's an outstanding facility, and uh, credit uh, Eric Rose for uh, the management of that uh, facility and, and getting the word out about it. Um, and I'm sorry, I forgot no, well, your question. No, no, I, mean, <laughs> but I guess it's what else do you need now from the city? So one thing that would really help the city is communication about the opportunities that these various um, nonprofit youth sports organizations offer. Um, already, Eric Rose has communicated uh, Eastside's uh, program flyer. They've communicated uh, Monroe Myler's uh, community uh, um, uh, registration flyer. More engagement like that. Um, Dr. Shirley Green said she was going to come out to our opening day, and I believe she will. We just have to remember to invite her. <laughs> um, but I think more dialogue and meeting people face-to-face. -face. I think a, a regular meeting um, might not be a bad idea between, for example, the Department of Recreation and Human Services and a number of the youth um, sports uh, organizations might be helpful. I don't know. Bruce? Yeah, I think that would be very helpful. Uh, communication is a key part of the deal. Again, I've got a little more history here. I've been involved with this league for 24 years, so I've kind of seen how this has gone. Uh, Mitch, I'd point out the, uh, the work that is done. There's probably over a million dollars invested. How it's invested, we have never been directly involved with the discussions about how this goes. Uh, I agree with Roger that our relationships going forward has vastly improved with the new administration. Uh, Eric has done a phenomenal job. We're looking forward to meeting with you, Mr. Gruber, to find out exactly how we can collaborate to make this work better for everybody. But simple routine things, Tryon Park, one of the, the larger facilities within the city, we receive just about nothing. Uh, we've had a hard time even getting the grass caught for the last 10 years. I know during uh, Mayor Duffy's administration, uh, recreation lost the tools, lost the actual equipment to do the work. Everything went over to environmental services. It caused another layer of administrative uh, oversight that caused a ton of problems. The contractors were not invested in, in our programs, understanding they've got 48-plus fields to cut just for grass cutting, but the kids can't play in a meadow. If there's four inches of grass, yeah. we're not able to play. And Amen. We've, we've been caught having to do 
that kind of stuff with a 42-inch lawn tractor. Yeah. It's very daunting to try and get those fields done. We, when you we had a parent bring a mower on a flatbed truck to one of the games because when we got there to set up, the village hadn't been there to mow. And it was school, like, school 12, yeah, uh, yeah. We, have a, we have a riding mower that the grass does get cut, but um, when suburban teams come to play, they expect something more, and we realize that, and we want to give them a field they're used to. Uh, plus, it's you know it's not fun playing in, in tall grass. So, Mitch, those are just some of the basic ideas there, but some final thoughts from me before I let you go. Go ahead, Mitch. Yeah, you know, I, I just add one thing to it, too, which is that, there, and I'm sorry that I missed most of the conversation, but there, there's also a lot of philanthropy that is interested in, in, in supporting youth sports. And I think that's the role the city has to play is bring everyone to the table. We can convene. Um, and again, it's not just about infrastructure. It's also about convening and relationship building. And that's something that I'm committed to. I feel really confident that uh, Mayor Adams' administration is committed to it. And I look forward to, to working with the folks in the show here to continue to make improvements. Councilmember Gruber, thank you for making time for the program. Yeah, thanks. And thanks for everyone uh, for being out there. My kid is turning three this month, so I'll, 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 be, I'll be in the league in just a couple of years now. Wait, wait for me. <laughs> we look forward to seeing him. Thank you, Mitch. That's Mitch Gruber, a member of Rochester City Council. Um, before we wrap here, um, we're going to put links to the various league pages on uh, the pod- podcast page later today. So if you want to learn more, you want registration forms, you want to know more about how to get involved, you want to volunteer, it's all there. Uh, my colleague David Andriata sends a note saying, probably worth a mention for the free youth hockey program Saturday mornings in Genesee Valley Park's rink. Dave says hockey is a super expensive sport. That program is great for getting kids on skates for free. So that is Saturday mornings, Genesee Valley's uh, Valley Park Rink. Uh, if you want to put a kid on skates and get started with that and no cost to families there. So that's great. Um, and then the last comment uh, or question from listeners, and this is a good one, um, says, I don't have kids, but what about those families who struggle with transportation issues or don't have reliable vehicles? Are there carpool options or other ways to get kids to practice? Real quick, Bruce? We try and address that internally with each team. As a coach, I uh, was the taxi for a number of kids. Amen. Yeah. There's no direct program. We don't, uh, we don't have the resources to provide uh, shuttle service as much as we might like to. So what we try and do is have each individual team get the parents together. We have a team parent for each team. Let them try and coordinate how can we best carpool, get kids together. We don't want to see any kid not be able to play strictly because transportation is an issue. So we, we do our best to make that work for individual families. Yeah. And indirectly, that's part of community building. Oh, absolutely. It is. The only rule that I tell kids that I drive to games is I get to set the music. You're going to have to tolerate my music. Um, But I will stress to to families who may be wondering about transportation or, again, cost, don't let that be a barrier. Your kid is welcome. Your kid is welcome. In every league, no matter where you live, they will find a way. And if they don't, that's a problem, and you can call me and tell me about it. Uh, but I am grateful for the people like Roger Janizek, Bruce Conroe, Paul Conroe, and so many other coaches, youth sport coaches, volunteers, yes, the umpires and officials. Um, thank you to everybody for doing what you do. Roger, thanks for coming in and thank telling the story. Thank you very much, Evan. And Bruce, thank you. Thank you, Evan. We appreciate the opportunity to promote uh, city baseball and softball. You got it. East side, Little League. South side. Rye ball. Rye ball. There's so much happening. Uh, so check it all out. Um, more connections coming up in a moment.